Welcome to Tech Talk with Trevor Galbraith. My guest today is Ross Bernstein from Indium Corporation. Today I am delighted to be joined by Ross Bernstein. He is the president of Indium Corporation. <laughs> yeah, great to, great to be with you today, Trevor. Okay, good. So you're almost two years into your presidency now at Indium Corporations. What are your strategic goals for the company? Where, where are you taking it? Right now, the big thing for Indium is um, those, of, uh, those of you who know Indium in the industry know us as the company who can make any alloy in any form and engage in all these specialty markets. Um, uh, at Indium, we believe material science changes the world, and we just are passionate about our material science. And so you connect those two things together, the fact that we do a lot of these custom alloys and specialty things, and the fact that um, we really believe in material science, and uh, we, we take those together, and we are participating in a ton of different markets. And so to sustain the development of all those markets is the real challenge. Um, most companies, as they grow, simplify, and we want to grow with our complexity. And so that is really a lot about developing our engineering skills and our leadership skills throughout the whole organization and throughout the globe and each of our different business units. So that's really where we're focusing, focusing in on the group people and developing them so they can be leaders in their given areas. Yeah, I've noticed that you've been very people-centric and you've got some great um, systems in there for interns and that sort of thing joining the company. Talking about the alloys though, uh, is Indium as an alloy still relevant to today's market? I mean, what's its use, what's its applications, what's its availability? So when we think of alloys, we often think of the given elemental constituents as ingredients. And indium has, as an ingredient helps alloys be more compliant and survive thermal cycling or su su potentially survive shock and drop tests uh, better. So when we see indium, is, although still not a mainstream alloy as a solder interconnect, as an ingredient, it is becoming uh, more and more popular, including some of the new high rail alloys that have been adopted for even the auto automotive industry or telecom. There can be this indium ingredient that helps, helps the alloy perform. And then there's other areas where indium continues to be the dominant constituent and because of its uh, cry performance at cryogenic temperatures and its excellent thermal conductivity. And those are pretty well known in the high-end um, semiconductor devices, uh, active circuit semiconductor devices, you'll often find indium as a thermal interface. Right, right. I've also seen it increasingly used in LEDs for LED interconnection. Yes. One of the, the key trends at the moment is around low temperature solders, I mean, uh, for automotive applications and various other things. What are the big challenges with low temperature solders? The biggest challenge is, is the fact that companies want to have a low enough temperature such that they are able to get the benefits in either through a step because of step soldering or because of some other economic or performance characteristics, for example, to minimize warpage or minimize stress on a sensitive component. And what, what we see as uh, the starting point for almost all these alloys is the tin bismuth alloy, and sometimes it's the tin bismuth silver alloy. But then, the, so that works great to form the joint end of line, but its reliability is a real uh, challenge because it just can't handle any kind of flex or drop shock. So the, right. the challenge in low temperature is to be able to deliver uh, not, uh, the performance at the right temperature and that delivers high reliability. 
Um, what just as I was talking about earlier with indium, indium is one of those ingredients that can definitely help those alloys become more compliant um, and still achieve the lower temperature performance. Right. So you need to add in some some extra uh, components here to make the bismuth a bit more uh, elastic, if you like, uh, or, or pliable. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then the other thing that people are doing is is doing novel things like uh, combining a uh, a maybe a corner bond or some kind of underfill or, or solder compliant uh, epoxy to the system to give it more reliability. But of course, that adds cost and a process step. So our yeah. goals at Indium right now, and we have some novel things. We've just filed a few patents on this, so I'm not really to disclose them right now, where we think we can get uh, nearly SAC, so tin silver copper reliability, but with a low temp solder. It w such a solution will require our customers to be uh, think outside the box a little bit on how they approach their assembly process. But if we can do that, um, that will be something that I think will be very interesting to the market. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, uh, you produced a major campaign recently around voiding. Uh, well, it's been going on a couple of years now. There's been a number of uh, different uh, flux uh, solutions brought out to try and uh, work with the, the voiding problem. There's also a lot of mechanical uh, solutions as well at the oven end. Uh, is it still a big issue in the industry? Absolutely, voiding is uh, continues to be an issue. It's as because there's still industries that are just adopting the bottom termination components, and in those components, uh, they're being adopted partially for thermal performance. And when you have these large lake voids inside of uh, underneath that ground plane, it really defeats the purpose, right? You can't conduct mm -hmm. the the heat out of the component. And as yeah. we get more electrification, we get the 48 volts in the cars. We get um, smarter power grids and smarter devices overall in the way they consume power, there's just going to be more and more of these power devices. So voiding continues to be a very big concern in the industry and there's a lot of investment going on still today to keep it driving it even lower with these new types of components. Right. Um, but, but we feel like the, the 8.9 HF, which is which is what the led that campaign for Indium Corporation, and we've had, since extended it to other product offerings, is still our flagship product in terms of delivering performance, not only with voiding, but the but it's not so bad hard to create a solder paste that can deliver low voiding. It's hard to deliver a solder paste that can deliver low voiding and all the other feature set that you expect from a solder paste. Good head and pillow performance, good printing, good stencil life, good shelf life all those things. And so that product is still our key avoid the void product, Indium 8.9 HF. Yeah, there's a lot goes into it. Um, you mentioned in that uh, reply there, the, the 48 volt uh, uh, rate that's coming into the automotive side. How big a challenge is that? Because there seems to be some uh, debate over the 24 volt or the 48 volts. Is that gonna be a real issue for you? For us, it's actually an opportunity. Um, the challenge comes into the full system design that the automakers and, the, and their suppliers are trying to work through. But what we see is it's a great opportunity because there's just going to be that many more power devices. There are going to be more and more uh, you know, uh, DC to DC steps and a, uh, DC to AC steps to where they're needed. And those, power, those, those steps are going to be huge for Indium because each one requires a, a controller board and a power device and our materials uh, are being designed specifically to meet those challenges. So for example, uh, in many of these power uh, inverters and 
we, we find that reliability is a big concern. Not only voiding, but often they'll use vacuum soldering, so voiding can be dealt with, but also just absolute thermal cycling reliability. So Indium, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, launched our in Inform, that is a reinforced solder preform that can be used with either the SAC alloy or the tin antimony alloy, and it's dramatically improved the reliability under thermal stress for these products. More, more solder getting used, more opportunities, that, that's good for you. Development cycles continue to get shorter uh, as more and more uh, electronic applications come into the market. Are you increasing your R&D budgets to compensate for this? Indium right now has uh, are, continued to expand our R&D spend as we've grown as a company. And it's always a fine balance, right? How much do you uh, eat today versus uh, spend for the, for your future um, as, a, as a business manager? But right now, what I can say is we continue to expand our R&D budget and think more broadly about what R&D even means at Indium Corporation because we're finding that with these new systems that are coming out, um, tr our traditional R&D group, which is located primarily in the in the Clinton area and then also in China in Suzhou China and then we have a branch in Chicago that group has traditionally focused on our semiconductor fluxes and our solder paste fluxes and really organic chemistry combined with the metallurgy we've now expanded into thinking about how does how does the metal form affect the performance of the solder joint so that's where for example the inform comes in the ability to think outside the box and how can we help this interconnect be more reliable through how we process the materials or how can we enable a a maybe a new application or a new assembly technique um, with our materials so just one ex quick example is um, we've come out with a 0 0.006 inch or 0.15 millimeter flux cord wire so it's a very, very fine wire with a high flux content, which is enabling all different kinds of assembly techniques with robotic soldering that in applications where you would have never considered flux cord wire in the past. And these are these, so there's a lot of this development that's going on throughout the company. So are you having to develop uh, separate um, uh, wires and, and solders for the robotic soldering market? I mean, is that bringing up a whole set of new challenges in itself? Absolutely, absolutely. There's a couple unique aspects to the robotic soldering systems that require you to have usually a, a, a act, activator system that has a certain stability and and uh, and can handle usually a higher excursion temperature, but still promote soldering. Um, spattering becomes a big challenge. We've worked very diligently to reduce spattering, um, and then also um, just tip life. There's ways you can design your product to not um, corrode the tips so you have longer life and, and longer uptime for your robot, robots that are doing the work. And all of that combined with a very both standard size wires, but these very, very fine wires that really enable things to, to move into tighter spacings. Turning our attention now to the, the other end of the spectrum, bar solder. I mean, over the past decade, it's, it's gone from, you know, $100 a kilo to less than 30 uh, is it still worth being in that part of the industry or is it just a, a necessary evil? Well, I mean, bar solder and it usually hopefully comes along with the wave solder flux and other materials is part of the whole integrated package for customers. And so we still find that there is are, are nice opportunities in bar solder. Of course, the margins and the structure needs to be different um, than what you'd anticipate for some of the more advanced materials. But there is still op opportunities, but I think it's really a geographic regional play 
more so than it is a you know it's not really a global market anymore you're not we're not no one's generally shipping far any great distances so there are yeah. nice opportunities in that um and uh, quality still matters i mean the quality of the alloy the quality of the service still matters in that product mm. but you buy you buy the solder on the spot market uh, so, I mean, how difficult is that as an industry, which is increasingly dominated by machines and automation? Well, the bar solder, though, I mean, wave solder is not going away by any means. Um, in fact, mm. I think I think wave solder probably globally continues to grow as a process. Um, it's it, the electronics industry is a, is kind of this magic industry where it's so exciting at the bleeding edge, you know, the maybe the you know the new semiconductor additive manufacturing techniques that are being used in the semiconductor packaging are just are so interesting with heterogeneous integration coming on board and all those advanced materials and so that's all happening but at the same token wave solder is still with us and we rarely discard a winning process um, we keep adding to it and there's usually a new there's new homes found so the things that were wave soldered years ago um, some are still wave soldered and some have moved on to SMT and then now maybe moving into the semiconductor packaging space as we do full systems and package. But um, there's always new applications for wave solder. Right, right. Um, looking at the conflict minerals uh, policy, do you, do you have a conflict minerals policy or do you subscribe to one of these uh, groups that organizes it for you? Absolutely. We have, um, we're fully compliant with all the legislation. We have strong relationships with our um, material companies that send us the raw materials to make sure we're conflict free. And it's all available on our website, of course. Um, but we think it's, uh, it's just a, a, it's kind of an ante to being able to do business in the electronics industry is to be conflict mineral free. And uh, we take that responsibility seriously and uh, have, have achieved uh, achieve the the proper status that we need for for being compliant yeah that's good to hear looking back at your your uh development business again uh is the real margin in the business in developing flux chemistries is that really where the the, the market is that's, what, that's where the secret sauce is um you know for alloys um if you can be fortunate enough to get a patent on your alloy and get some protection you can create some uh, uh margin benefit there but you also there's also a downside to that um because you then limit the number of people who will probably adopt it because many companies don't want to buy a sole source patented material um so it's this so on the alloy side because it can be so easy to reverse engineer it's a delicate balance the thing mm -hmm. about fluxes is even if you were somehow lucky enough to figure out the formula it doesn't mean you can know how to make it there's a lot of IP, not only in the chemistry, but also in how to make the materials. And so um, the secret sauce or the differentiator between us and our and the other suppliers of materials is really in the flux. Right. Yeah. And as you said, it's, it's so difficult to get people to adopt a, a single sourced um, new alloy. But what sort of decisions go into developing, uh, for example, a new, a new sort of paste? Um, you know when, when you're going to look at something new is it all customer driven or do you look at an application and and uh, uh, try to develop something around that yeah there's i mean we take a couple of different approaches um, there's usually uh, a, the need for some new platform type uh, systems that usually comes out of market trends as well as the voice of customers um, and that's those are a little bit longer term 
but then you have the specific customer need. Um, for example, let's say uh, someone is going to maybe when they went to double o, you know the metric O201s or or these really really small par parts that require different types of solder paste. Um, we've been able to work with them closely to come out with type six, type seven materials that meet their needs for high volume manufacturing. So our 3.2 HF, for example, right now is being used for system and packages throughout the world. And it's being used because we listened to what our customers needed. We were able to not only make the uh, powder, which was one technical hurdle, but also make it in mm -hmm. high enough volume and a cost enough, a cost effective price point so it could be actually adopted and then we made the compatible flux that went along with it. So it's that whole integrated package. And um, as with almost anything in our business, the, there's always a way to assemble something, but can you do it in a cost-effective way? So we're always balancing that um, performance and cost and trying to make sure we're in the right balance to meet our customer needs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, looking at the, the industry at the moment, um, there are some slowdown in certain areas. The automotive industry seems to be uh, faltering a little bit at the moment. Um, how much do you try to spread your product risk across different sectors, uh, and, and which ones would you say you're strongest in? Well, yeah, this uh, I don't want to give away our whole strategy, of course, Trevor, but um, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's uh, it's pretty pretty. Uh, I'm in a privileged position at Indium because um, we, again, we have a very broad product offering and we uh, embrace the different niches and the different and market diversification as part of our just our fundamental heritage as a company so we enjoy, we are enjoying right now a wide portfolio that we've built for many many years and we'll continue to do that in terms of specific markets yes automotive is is slowed down but we see that that that's really a temporary thing and it depends really where you are playing in automotive there are certainly areas in automotive that are growing nicely right now. And uh, you heard me mention earlier, our Avoid the Void campaign did resonate and does resonate with many, many markets, uh, especially where they're adopting bottom termination components and they need low voiding. So we've had quite a bit of success in that market. Uh, other other areas that we see, uh, there's, there's a lot of, I guess maybe one of the things to say is there's a lot of um, tumult in the industry, right? Because you have the tariff and uh, wars and with between the U.S. and China, and I and that has caused companies to rethink where they're doing their production. We see a lot of activity in other parts of the world, so we're seeing this uh, because of that dislocation. We're sometimes seeing markets that are in the press being reported as not growing, but we're actually seeing growth. But it could be due to those dislocations. Um, yes. So it's a, it's a little frothy out there right now to see what's exactly trending um, up or down just because of there's so much turnover in the industry. Right, right. There, there is. I mean, these supply chains are are, are changing uh, a lot at the moment. Uh, there's a lot of activity going on. Um, I don't suppose that affects you too much. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot easier for you to follow your customers to where they're deciding to relocate to uh, than it would be for other types of suppliers. Right, absolutely. We we have that um, ability to uh, to to basically ship our product really anywhere in the world, and we do ship it all over the world. So we can, we, and we have a global footprint with great technical people distributed throughout the world. So we're able to give that, you know, from one engineer to another service that we like to do on the factory floor everywhere in the world. Um, and we continue to uh, invest in the, our 
our staffing levels to be able to continue to do that. But it does affect, uh, you know, I care deeply about our people and our factory in China and, and the relationships we have there. And so, um, you know, I'm hopeful that things uh, stabilize for our, our overall China footprint. Um, it's, it's been stressful for sure these last couple months. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, unfortunately, I don't see an easy resolution to it. But uh, uh, it's great to see how Indium continues to grow, and I'm I'm really impressed with the the uh, the way that you bring along your uh, new people and develop new people into the industry. And it seems to be an area where the the, the industry has been struggling to find uh, or attract new engineers to come along in, into the industry. Have you had much trouble in, in that respect, or you find it easy to attract? new talent into into in your case uh the solar business the way we're approaching our talent acquisition seems to be working so although there is certainly um in different levels of uh, in, within the organization uh challenges at time to fill all the positions we want to fill um, for the most part we've been very successful and again you mentioned our intern program has been a, a big feeder for us and also just i think the the ability to chart your own path at indium um, and, and really own something early on and get a lot of responsibility early on when someone joins has been attractive to people so uh, we're blessed to have a great team here um, and we're just keep looking for people who uh, are passionate about material science and and if anyone listening out there is interested please uh, reach out to indium we're looking for those who love love the love how material science can impact the world yeah, absolutely, and uh, and I can only say it's going to become more and more important as as the technology in this industry develops. Uh, so, Ross, for now, I want to thank you for joining us, and uh, we look forward to seeing Indium's growth in the future. Wonderful, thank you very much, Trevor. Nice talking to you. Mm -hmm.